hakika wema nazo fadhili hakika wema nazo Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Each week, I get to sit down with a living composer and talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. Join me and take a peek inside the mind of a composer. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash movabledough. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. We're going to do something a little different today. I've invited Jennifer Cook to return today to turn the tables and interview me. Jen, take it away. Hi, this is Jen. My guest today is Dr. Steve Danielson. Steve is a teacher, performer, composer, conductor, and podcaster based right outside Olympia, Washington. He received a BA in music from Brigham Young University, a master's degree in choral conducting from the University of Memphis, and a DMA in choral conducting from the University of Washington. Steve is the current choir director at Jefferson Middle School in Olympia, director of Coro Voce with the Olympia Youth Chorus, and the conductor and artistic director of the Enzyme Symphony and Chorus in Seattle. Steve Danielson, welcome to your very own Movable Dough. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm actually very nervous because I, I now feel <laughs> now how, my, how, how my guests feel. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's start where you often start in your podcasts. Where did you grow up? Can you talk about your musical family and when you started making music? Give us that picture. Sure. Uh, so I was born in Southern California. I grew up there until I was about 12. Uh, that's where I sort of started musicking. I uh, started taking piano lessons when I was about six. My mom taught me for a little bit, but I also had a very gifted older sister uh, who was a piano genius from a very young age. And so she took over my piano lessons uh, pretty early. Uh, so I, I did come from a pretty musical family. We all took piano lessons. Um, I have a couple sisters that also sing very well. Uh, my brother was a my older brother was a drummer, which I thought was very cool. Uh, like I said, my older si- one of my older sisters is a pianist. There's eight of us, so there's a lot of music going around. Wow. Um, and then I have you know other siblings that all took piano and. We all just love music. We love singing. We love playing. Uh, I'm the only one that went into a career in music, mm-hmm. um, but we all we all music. Does the fact that you that there were a lot of you at home growing up did that influence your desire to do group making music making like <laughs> conducting? Well, it's funny. One of my earliest musical experiences was with my family. Uh, my mom and her friend decided that they were going to put together a singing group with their children. So I was about three years old. Uh, so I think we ranged in age from three to 11 and we were called the half notes. Oh my God. <laughs> and we were abs- absolutely adorable. Oh yeah. There's uh, much to the okay, chagrin of my siblings. I've put it on YouTube. So it's out there. <laughs> you have to link to that when this comes out. So um, what you're saying is you were Gretel in the Von Trapp. That's right. I was Gretel. Okay. Yeah. But right. strangely, when I was, you know, about, I don't know, seven or eight, I got this notion in my head that real men don't sing. And so I went for a long time not wanting to sing in, in public or sing with anyone. And it wasn't until about 13 or so that I started singing in, in the church choir. My, I say my mom tricked me into it. She said, we need you for the Christmas program. 
So I said, okay, I'll come be part of the Christmas program. And then she said, well, now you're part of the choir. Now you have to just keep coming. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, so I grew up in Southern California. Uh, and then when I was about 12, we moved out to Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and so I went to middle school and high school uh, out there. I was in band. I, I wasn't in choir or anything. I did band from fourth grade to 12th grade, playing trumpet and baritone and piano and jazz band. Uh, just having a great time. I was a I was a band nerd, and that was my identity. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah. That's so cool. And I know that you have seven children now. Is that, I do is have seven children. Yeah. So you carry on the big family tradition. <laughs> <laughs> well, both me and my wife are from families of eight kids, so it was a wow. It was almost inevitable that we do it. <laughs> yeah. So what is music making in your family now been like? Did you? take your kids through musical pathways as well? Oh yeah. My, my own children have all had to take piano lessons. Uh, my second oldest, my, my son, Steven is a, an exceptional musician himself. He can pick up music incredibly fast um, and, and pick up instruments. He's a fantastic pianist, but also has a, a huge collection of recorders that he plays. Uh, he has an accordion. He's got, you know, just an, a wider range of instruments that he's picked up and said, I want to learn how to play this. So he just does. Uh, and it's been great, but yeah, all my kids down to the youngest have all taken piano lessons up till they're about 16 and then they can choose what they want to do with music after that. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, cause you have your fingers in so many <laughs> pies here. You have, you have the, you know, the performer side of you, which we were just talking about with instruments as well the conducting, the teaching aspect, and then the composing, not to mention the podcasting. But can you talk a little bit about how um, how you manage all of that and what that looks like for you? And, and how do you think of yourself as well? Do you see those all as equal? Oh, man. Some days I don't know how I do it. <laughs> Some days I'm like, I just need like seven more hours in a day. Not even one more. I need like seven more to make everything happen properly. You know, I just, I try to say, okay, what is happening tomorrow? What am I going to have time for tomorrow? And I try to plan out almost day by day, you know, am I going to have time to, to deal with the podcast today? You know, I've got an interview coming up. When am I going to have time to do the research for that podcast? Um, you know, planning music for my students, planning a, a concert season for my symphony and orchestra or symphony and uh, chorus, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's just really a matter of organization, trying to find time. And depending on what I'm doing, different things take priority. So if I get a, you know, a commission of some sort and say, you know, I've got to have some time to compose, then I find that time and I say, okay, I've got to push something else to the side for a moment. I've got to focus on this composition. Or if I'm doing piano lessons with my kids, because I teach them and I say, okay, we've got to carve out this time for piano lessons. Wow. Um, I just try to prioritize what is important at the moment. Everything can't be important all the time in my life or else I get completely out of balance. Yeah, so true. What would you say has your heart the most? I would say right now, it's really tied between conducting and composing. I think mm -hmm. those are the two things that I love most. I love being in front of my chorus and conducting naturally i'm a i'm a i'm quite an introvert but when i get in front of a class i can talk and i can teach and i can interact and i'm 
very energetic and lively, which is oh. different than how I am if you encounter me at a party. <laughs> right. You're in the zone. Yeah. So next time we're at a party, we just need to get you to conduct. That's right. Just everybody. say, all right, let's everybody form up in lines and we'll we'll do a choir here. <laughs> oh, that's that's really cool. Yeah, but I, I love composing as well. And I, I try to make myself continue to compose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was one of the things when I first started teaching high school, I had only recently really started composing music and I said, okay, I, that was fun. I want to keep doing this. So I made excuses for myself to compose. I sponsored a, a poetry contest at the school and said, okay, whoever wins this poetry contest, I'm going to write music to this and have my choir perform it. So yeah, I just tried to make myself continue to compose, even if I'm not writing for anyone in particular except myself. Yeah, I think that's really important because it is a creative gesture as much as a professional gesture. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's now it's just inside of me and I have to I have to keep doing it because I love it so much. I love that. Yeah. Um, can you talk about how doing all 55 episodes of Movable Dough plus all the snippets that you've done, you talk about how that has affected your composing. Have you gleaned a lot of information from talking to all these composers or how has that affected you? You know, I, I get different things from different composers. And I that's one of the things I love about this podcast is just hearing their different journeys into composition, how they got there, talk about their processes. You know, I, I loved talking to Eric Whitaker, you know, a month ago or so. And, you know, he talks about his golden brick and these, these ideas that he sort of builds an entire piece on or talking to Paul Aitken, who talks about composing straight from beginning to end and, you know, not really thinking about where it's going just letting the song take its progression um, and hearing composers talk about how they work with lyrics. And some of them spend so much time with these lyrics before they even set anything down to, on paper. Uh, and I think a lot of those things are starting to influence the way I think about things. When I sit down, I'm like, okay, I've, you know, I remember so-and-so saying this thing, how can I approach this differently? Not necessarily to make it sound like them, but, to sort of incorporate how other people are working, yeah. which I, which is great because I, I never actually took a composition class. Uh, I'd never studied composition. Uh, it's something I sort of started doing by accident, you could say, okay. and just sort of experimented with things as I've gone. So I love hearing how different composers work. It's sort of like my own composing school as I'm going through here. Yeah, totally. That's very cool. That's very, very cool. It's like you had private lessons with That's all right. the best I've cool had, conductors. I've had 54 <laughs> private lessons. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. Well, can you talk a little bit about, I know you've done uh, several residencies and you took a residency for two weeks in Kenya in 2020 of all times. <laughs> so can you tell us about that and how you even did that in 2020? Well, sure. Yeah. Well, it was in February of 2020. So it was oh, right okay. before everything sort of came to a, a halt. I didn't even know anything was happening until I was coming home from Kenya. And they kept asking me at the airport, have you just been to China? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so then I got home and started hearing about uh, COVID and all that sort of stuff. Um, but anyway, so I got invited out to Kenya uh, by Evans and Benji. He had been out here in the United States on an exchange with ACDA. And he came to the University of Washington, where I was working on my doctorate, and we had a, a great time together. We we really hit off a, a friendship. Uh, he looked at some of my compositions and oh, I love these. I'd love to do these with my choir in Kenya. And so we kept in contact. And he said, "Let's try to get you out here to Kenya." 
Uh, and so it didn't work when we first talked about it, but then things opened up for me in 2020. And I said, I think this is going to be the time that we need to make this happen. And I'm glad we chose February yeah. <laughs> so that it actually happened. But yeah, I went out to Kenya for two weeks, um, lived with Evans and his family, wow. uh, experienced Kenyan food, oh, which is amazing. Uh, but more importantly, you know, I worked with choirs and conductors and vocalists and, you know, got to do these awesome master classes with them uh, about conducting. And we talked about Laban gesture and things that can help them not only in conducting, but also as singers, what they can do to interpret uh, music better. Uh, and then we had a, a fabulous concert at the very end where they featured like 10 of my pieces or something like that, which I've, I've never had a concert like that before, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Um, I wrote a piece for them for that residency, uh, which is actually the opening song of Movable Doe for this season, uh, wow. which my listeners, make sure you pay attention to the uh, bonus episode next week uh, where I will actually talk about that piece more. So you'll get some more information then. Oh, wow. Bonus goodies. I love it. That's so cool. That sounds like a really fun experience. That's oh, it like, was amazing. Residencies like that are such a perk of our job, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, an adventure for sure. Well, cool. Um, Let's talk about a little bit more about your conducting and where that intersects with your composition. Because like you said, you haven't had quote unquote formal composition training, although you're obviously interfacing with a ton of music every day and picking it apart as a conductor does. So what have you noticed in your conducting that your choirs, I don't know, gravitate to or respond to? And has that affected how you compose? Do you find yourself going, oh, this, I want to borrow this and this or Talk about how that how that coalesces for composition for you. Sure. So, you know, as I said, I started teaching high school shortly after I started composing. And one of the things I wanted to do was really work to the choir strength. Um, if I had a really strong soprano section that could handle awesome Devisi, I would, you know, I would definitely build that in. Because mm -hmm. what I found was there were a lot of really cool pieces out there, but not all of them were built to the strengths of my choir and not all of them consider the weaknesses of my choir. Uh, and so if I could write something specifically for them, then I knew they would be successful at it. Uh, and I knew that they would find joy and fulfillment in working on a piece like that. And so I tried to do that. And that's something that I still do while I'm writing is thinking about the ensemble that I'm writing for it. It's a different animal. If I'm just sort of writing into the ether with no, no ensemble in mind. So I do try to still, I try to think about who would be doing this um, and try to write to those strengths as well. But I think my conducting has shifted over the years as I've gotten more experienced at composing mm. um, because I've started thinking more like a composer. And so I think about the music differently when I'm looking at it. Uh, from other composers and think about how they constructed it and how it was put together, you know, going back to, to Eric Whitaker, you know, I just did Cloudburst with the Ensign Symphony and Chorus uh, back in March. And I was thinking a lot more about how Eric Whitaker has talked about this piece and how it's constructed and where, it, you know, how things go from one place to the other and this golden brick idea. And it made me think about the piece differently 
and help me introduce it to my choir differently uh, as we talk about this scale that he based everything on in that piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think about things differently as a conductor because of my compositions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Would you say like pre-composing as much, you would have thought of things a little bit more like, I don't know, linearly as a conductor or like what what's the before and after there? Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking more about the choir rather okay. than how the music was constructed. And I I think that's also because I I didn't have a lot of choral experience before I started teaching high school as well. Right. Uh, I I'd, I'd conducted church choir a little bit, but that was that was about it. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, I was thinking about the choir and the sound of the choir, but not really about how music was put together. Uh, I think I I might have got there eventually if I hadn't composed, but I think composing definitely put me in that mindset. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting to hear as somebody who, uh, like, I'm definitely, I can conduct a little, but I'm a composer first. So I'm going at it completely the backwards way, but trying <laughs> to go, oh, so how would a conductor, how is a conductor looking at my dots that I put on the page? And I feel like that is a really interesting sort of translation to find that you know, you can speak both languages so fluently in that yeah. sense that that is really interesting. Well, and another thing that I really love about your choral catalog um, of your compositions is that so much of it is very accessible difficulty wise. And, you know, sometimes for me, I've found that the hardest stuff to write is the music that's actually very simple to perform. Like the, it's such deceptively simple stuff a lot of the time um and i'm and i'm sure some of your experience with the choirs themselves like you said you know what's going to make them successful um can you talk a little bit more about that how you approach Mm -hmm. how you approach all of that yeah so like i said you know i taught high school and i was writing mostly for my high school ensembles Uh, i had a advanced chamber choir which i could write sort of more juicy chords and things like that but i also was directing a beginning chorus where you know, half of them didn't even want to be there. It was a, it was a get a fine arts credit class. Right. Uh, and so I was, you know, I would usually write a holiday piece for that cl- class every year. And so writing simply enough where they can sing it, but still have it exciting enough where they're going to buy into it was a, was a fun challenge. Uh, and I do that with my middle school now as well. You know, I'm, what is it that is going to keep them engaged and yet be accessible enough for them to sing? And it it's always been such a, a fun challenge to figure out what works for them. Yeah. Um. One last one before we get to your pieces. Can you talk a little bit more about what would you say to your 13-year-old self who didn't want to sing, didn't think singing was cool or manly, what would you say to your yourself and maybe also what do you say to your students who might find themselves in that situation (laughs) well first of all i would probably tell him that he needs to start singing because singing is a lot of fun and it's a it's a great way to emote which my teenage self definitely needed some place to emote but yeah i i think what i would tell him is to just explore as many avenues of music as possible I was, I was pretty limited in my scope. I loved the music we were playing in band. I was listening to alternative rock. You know, I was in that sort of mind space, but I didn't really have 
room in my life, you could say, for anything outside of that. So if it was country, if it was rap, if it was uh, anything else, um, I, I was like, I don't want any part of it. I liked classical music to a point. Uh, I was listening to Tchaikovsky because I loved the brass. You know, I was a trumpet and baritone player, so I loved the the brass that Tchaikovsky used. But uh, I look back now at some of my opinions and think, what was I thinking? You know, I, I thought Bach was boring. Uh, I thought the New World Symphony by Dvorak was so lame. You know, I, I had all these these ideas in my head, and I look back and think, man, where what was I even thinking during that time? Uh, because I, I I love all of that stuff now because I've actually explored it and I appreciate what the composers were doing uh, and what the performers have to do to to play it properly. And it just makes me really, really not understand what my 13-year-old self was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've expanded your scope, right? That's, That's right. That's exactly right. the advice you were giving. And I think that you are living up to your own advice and that you are you are involved in so many different aspects of music making and that is very cool to see. Yeah. You know, I just wish I had started a little bit earlier, uh, letting myself explore, letting myself sing and join choir and maybe do choir and band at the same time. And then who knows what could have happened uh, in college. Right. You know, you know, yeah. I just, I did voice because I knew I didn't want to be a band director. Mm -hmm. That was, that was my reasoning. I'm like, I don't want to be a band director, but I want to do music. I can sing. Okay. I'll try voice. <laughs> so, so that's the, that's the direction I went, <laughs> but you know, I didn't set out to be a conductor or a composer. I was going to be a, a Broadway star and uh, be a singer on the stage, but wow. life, life had a different direction for me. Do we have another hour to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We'll get to some of your musical theater in a minute here, actually. Right. <laughs> so after a quick break, we will listen to some of Steve's compositions. All right. Welcome back. This is Jennifer Cook, and I'm talking today with our host, normally, Steve Danielson. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> this is the part where I get to ask you about the pieces uh, that you wanted to talk about for the show. And um, when I know that when you were trying to select four, you had a really hard time and you had a lot of compassion for what you require all of the other components. I know. I know. I'm like, just pick four pieces. That's so hard. It's a really, <laughs> really tough call. But you have some four good ones and a really wide variety. So I'm that's what I tried to focus on, just four different pieces. Yeah, I think you totally hit that mark. Um, the first one we'll talk about and, and listen to today is one called Croppy Boy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So Croppy Boy is a an old an old Irish folk tune. Uh, and I came across this song uh, during my dissertation studies. Uh, I was working with a folk song collection by a folk singer named Carrie Grover, which that could be a podcast in of itself. In fact, I think there is a podcast out there about Carrie Grover. Um, she was a folk singer in Maine, a, a housewife, you know, had all these songs in her head and she didn't really know what, didn't really know what to do with them. She had learned them from her mother and her father and her different sides of the family. Uh, and so she eventually decided to get them all written down. So she created a collection of them called a heritage of songs. And the cool thing is it wasn't just the songs. It wasn't just the words. It was also her story about this. You know, I remember my dad singing this song when he was, you know, working out doing something and he was, you know, sharpening his knives or something, you know, whatever, whatever the story was, 
you know, she had different uh, elements about it. So it was a very personalized folk song collection, which I've never seen anyone like it. Uh, but this song was in this collection and I, I knew that it was in other collections as well. I knew there were other choral settings of it out there. There's a, a, a great one by uh, Alice Parker, but I knew they were all different as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's folk songs. There's lots of variants of them out there. And so I took five different folk song collections that had this song in it. Uh, and I compared them, you know, compared the lyrics, compared the, the, the music, tried to see how they were similar, how they were different, how they related. Uh, and I broke it down and created a brand new arrangement based on all five different variants of this, of this piece. Uh, sort of created my own set of lyrics based on what was there, put it all together to create a new song. One of the interesting things I learned is that Carrie Grover's version is very possibly the oldest version of the five. So very possibly is the most correct version uh, out there because uh, her father or grandfather learned it uh, right after the Irish uprising that the song is about. Uh, and then within five years had immigrated to Canada and so had this song very fresh in his head from right after the Irish uprising that had happened in 1798, I think is when it was. So, wow. yeah. So crappie boy. Uh, I think this recording is by the uh, University of Washington. I guess you call us composers group. It's a, a little group my friend and I put together so that we could record our compositions. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. A bunch so, of friends of mine that got together to perform this for me. Right? Yeah. That's so cool. I think even that in and of itself is a really fun group to be a part of. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. Well, let's hear Crappie Boy.
All right. Our next piece is I carried your oxygen. And I know, Steve, you based this piece on Radiolab, an episode of Radiolab. I'm such a fan of the Radiolab podcast. So tell us a little bit more about how this piece came to be. Sure. Uh, this was a, it was actually a repeat episode um, about elements. I'd actually heard it years ago and then they, they played it again and it caught my attention this time. Um, you know, they had different segments about different elements of the periodic table. And in between these segments, they had these poems about elements based on different things. Uh, and I was just struck by them. I think the one that caught my attention was happy Valentine's day magnesium. And I thought that is such a cool idea. I want to set this to music. And so I, I got on the radio lab website and found out that this, these were poems that they had actually commissioned for their, uh, their segment. Uh, and there was a whole poetry night when they did these, uh, th did these element poems. And so I was able to figure out who the composers were of the three that I wanted to do. Uh, and I was, I contacted them and said, you know, I want to write this set of pieces. Can I have your permission? And I, I got permission from all three of them. Cool. So there's, I carried your oxygen, uh, which we're going to listen to. Uh, this recounts the, the poet's experience with his, now I'm not going to say it correctly. It's either his grandmother or an aunt. Uh, but she was on she was on oxygen. She had to carry an oxygen tank around with her. And he just remembered walking through the lobby of a restaurant, you know, sort of dragging this oxygen tank behind him to to help uh, this relative out. And just the scene and everything was just sort of sort of surreal as he's walking through this restaurant carrying oxygen. And so he wrote this poem about about that. Uh, there's another one called Hydrogen, uh, which is just about hydrogen, which is really cool. It gets very spacey uh, as we talk about the beginning of the universe and hydrogen. Uh, and then, of course, the third one, uh, Happy Valentine's Day Magnesium, is just what it sounds like. It's a it's a love poem for magnesium. Wow. <laughs> that is so cool. I love everything about these. Um, great. This and this recording is a demo track that you made singing all the parts as well. This is, yeah. I'm I'm hoping still to find a, a premiere chorus out there. So if you're listening and want to do this piece, let me know. Uh, but yeah, this is just me singing. All right. I carried your oxygen. <laughs>
And the next piece we'll talk about is Before Long, which is returning to these secret and recently uncovered Broadway roots that you have. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more about Before Long and all of that? Sure. First of all, I I love musical theater. Uh, When I taught high school, I was also the musical director for our, our shows and absolutely fell in love with musical theater and all that it has to offer. Uh, And I've experimented with writing musical theater before. I wrote a a musical for one of my family reunions uh, about my great, great, great grandfather. Um, (laughs) Family reunion ever. That's right. Um, But then I I listened to a podcast called Star Wars Minute, which I had talked about with my, on my episode with Chrysanthi Tan. And when they were doing Rogue One Minute, talking about the movie Rogue One, uh, they kept saying, this sounds like a musical. This, this setup is here feels like there should be a song that happens at this point. And I'm sitting there listening, thinking, yeah, that would be pretty cool. And then suddenly I'm hearing a song in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this is going to be good. So I actually wrote three songs for, uh, for Rogue One. Um, and then for this season, they're doing solo a Star Wars story. And they started talking about it again. Like, wow, this really feels like this should be a musical. And so I, I sat down and wrote this piece. This would be the opening to Solo, uh, a Star Wars musical, is what I call it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's an imaginary musical, lives in my head. And in the beginning of the movie, Han Solo is sort of in the employ. Not really. It's not really employed. He's, I don't know, servitude is the right word. Um, But he is under under the hand of Lady Proxima, who is a giant worm. Uh, <laughs> this giant worm lady. Uh, and so this is her at the beginning of the musical sort of setting the scene. You know, I've got all these little scum rats that I've got control of that I run this crime syndicate using them. And then, so this is her singing that song and then Han Solo would come in after this and we'd sort of meet the main characters and move on. So that's sort of how I envisioned this piece uh, called Before Long. Love that. And what would you like to see happen with this musical? I just want people to enjoy the the songs. I I don't think this will ever come to fruition. I don't know if Disney would ever consider <laughs> consider me as their main composer for a possible musical. Maybe but, if it were like an unauthorized parody yeah. kind of quotation. <laughs> yeah, but I would need a lot more time and hopefully some money in order to be able to finish this. <laughs> right now right. it's Right now, it's one song. <laughs> well, hey, that, with that in mind, let's hear Before Long with, again, you also performing this yourself. Great. Carter, little scum rats, don't let me hear you whine. I need you, little scum rats, to remember that you're mine. You think my life is easy, you think I have it all. You think my life is breezy, but I can see the writing on the wall. Before long. Comes to see 
be scared and don't be nervous you've got a lot to learn from a worm I'm really quite a softy some even say I'm kind my ideals aren't too lofty I just wanna take what's mine I find the little orphans the riffraff on the streets I take the little orphans and make them crime elites and I know my ways are shady and I know you say that's no lady if you wanna know just what I do But I'll approximate for you Before long Everyone comes to Lady Proxima Sing along To the praises of Lady Proxima You can't stay away, I'm sorry to burst your bubble Before long Everybody comes to see the lady Before long No one can get away from me, baby gonna make you squirm I'll show you you've got a lot to learn from Lady Proxima All right, last but not least is One by One Now this one you did with the Enzyme Youth choir right enzyme mm -hmm. symphony and chorus which you are also artistic director of can you talk about that and what it was like composing for a group that you also conduct yeah so it, it's sort of a half and half so i i conduct the adult choir the adult or the ensign youth choirs um it's basically a separate entity it's under the same board but i don't usually work directly with them oh, um and so they actually did contact me and commission me to write this piece for them uh to to do with the adult choir and the orchestra. But I, I sort of approached it in steps because I, as I started working on it, I realized this was going to be a very special piece. Um, I came up with the chorus very quickly uh, and did not know how to write the verses to this piece. I could not figure out where to go with it. Contacted a friend of mine who is very gifted with lyrics, uh, Michael Young. Uh, and he very quickly came up with these three verses uh, and with very very little alteration, just a couple of little suggestions. We, we had it set in about a day and a half, two days of these are going to be the lyrics. Wow. Uh, and I wanted, I wanted kids to be able to do this of whatever age, whatever accessibility. I didn't want it to just be a orchestra and chorus piece. So I started out writing just a very simple uh, unison 
version of this with a simple piano part that like a a children's choir at church could do mm-hmm. um and then i took that and fleshed it out into a, a two-part with an optional descant um children's chorus with a with a full accompaniment and flute obligato and then i took that and fleshed it out into the full orchestration with an optional adult chorus um, and I had it all set to go for March of 2020. We were set to do it. Um, and we actually canceled the day before our dress rehearsal. And so I never actually got to hear the full piece altogether. I, I had worked with the orchestra. I'd heard them do it. I'd worked with the adult chorus, but I'd never had the children there to sing it. And I've never didn't have it all put together. And so that was actually one of the biggest heartbreaks of that March concert being canceled was that I didn't get to have that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we decided we we're going to start back up and do this, uh, the children's chorus director said, I don't think we can do a full season, but maybe we can do something for the March concert. And so she sort of redesigned how they were doing the children's chorus. And instead of all meeting in the Seattle area uh, every Saturday, they created like eight different pods of singers, you know, from, you know, an hour north of Seattle to an hour south of Seattle and east and west. So, so many more children could actually participate. I think we ended up with like 94 kids wow. up on that stage. Um, and at the dress rehearsal, when I first heard all those kids and the, the beautiful soloist who starts this piece, when I heard it, I, I broke down in tears because it was so moving after waiting for two years to hear this piece and to be able to conduct it. Uh, you know, we, we sing in, in Benaroya Hall, which is one of the premier uh, venues here in Seattle. And I've never experienced either A, a performance like that in Benaroya, but I've never experienced a premiere like that uh, of one of my pieces. Uh, the emotion and the, the spirit and everything that was present during that performance was absolutely unlike anything I've experienced in a concert hall. Uh, and, you know, we had, we had crew members backstage, you know, put their phones down and come to the door of the theater saying, what is that? What, what am I feeling? What is happening right now? Wow. Uh, and it was just a really, really special evening that I, I don't think I'll ever forget. So I wanted to make sure that we shared this piece. Yeah, absolutely. That's so special. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear now again, one by one.
right, Steve, thank you so much for sharing all of your work with us. I mean, this has been so cool. We've all enjoyed all these episodes of Movable Dough, but now we know you and your work a little bit intimately, <laughs> which is an extra special treat. Um, can you give us any secrets of what you're working on next? Well, what I'm working on now actually isn't my work completely. Um, I've been working on a composition um, project with my middle school classes. Uh, so I have two choirs, but they're split into four classes. So I have four individual classes. Uh, and for the past um, month, month and a half, uh, each of my classes has been writing their own choral piece. Uh, so we went through the process of selecting a theme, finding text that we wanted to set, creating melodies, stringing it all together, you know, figuring out what works and what doesn't until we had a full choral piece. I added a piano accompaniment underneath and they're all going to perform brand new pieces at our June concert, which I'm really excited about. The that pieces have so turned fun. out way better than I was envisioning when we started this project. What a memorable experience for those students as well. That's really fun. The experience has been very enlightening for all of us. And some of them, you know, I was talking to them today in class today and they were like, you know, I didn't know that I could write music. I didn't know that was something I could do. Yeah. And now they sort of know how to do it. Right. I love seeing that light bulb turn on when you're like, oh, that's all that is. Yep. That's yep. all it is, kids. <laughs> yeah. I told them, you know, this is very similar to the process I go through when I sit down to write a new piece and yeah. the, the things that we did. This is what you can do as well. So Right. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, you've been posting little like progress on your social media, right? Uh, yeah. On my blog. Yeah. Okay, that's fan fantastic. So tell us more, where can we find that? Where else can we find you? Yeah, so I'm all over the place and unfortunately with different handles everywhere. So my, <laughs> uh, my website, sdcompose.com and my blog is there, sdcompose.com slash blog. Uh, and if you want to find me on social media, on, let's see, Instagram, I think I'm at Choir Steve. Uh, Twitter, I'm at SD Compose. Usually Choir Steve or SD Compose. Those are the, usually the safest uh, cool. bets to find me. Uh, YouTube, uh, lots of stuff out there on YouTube. Uh, also Choir Steve there. Uh, and then I do have my Movable Dough platform as well. So I've, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything with Movable Dough or Movable Dough Podcast. Fantastic. And YouTube is the best place to go to listen, to re-listen to any of the things we heard today. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. They, they're all on YouTube, plus everything else we've talked about here tonight. Uh, it's all there. Fantastic. And hey, listeners, make sure you go back and listen to Jennifer's episode of Movable Dough that aired about four weeks ago. Also check out some of the previous episodes that you may have missed. If you enjoyed listening to Movable Dough, please share it with a friend and keep the music moving. Well, Jennifer Cook, thank you for giving me this opportunity and interviewing me today on Movable Dough. My pleasure. My guest today was composer, me, Steve Danielson. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. And this is Jennifer Cook. Keep, Keep the, the music, music moving. moving.